Hi, this is Ivy Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium, and we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is zibbyowens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Kayleen Schaefer is the author of But You're Still So Young, How 30-Somethings Are Redefining Adulthood. Kayleen is a journalist and also author of Text Me When You Get Home, which was widely praised as witty, timely, nimble, essential, and more by outlets such as Elle, The Washington Post, New York Times, NPR, BuzzFeed, and many others. She also wrote the best-selling Kindle single memoir called Fade Out. Her work has appeared in the New York Times, Vanity Fair, The New Yorker, Vogue, and many other publications. She currently lives in New York City. Welcome, Kayleen. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Hi, Zibby. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I know that we're here to talk about your latest book, but you have also written Text Me When You Get Home about female friendship. And your latest book is about, but you're still so young, about 30-somethings. But... I just finished reading Fade Out about your search for your brother. And now I'm like obsessed with that story. So we have to talk about that too. Yeah, of course. That's, I mean, that hasn't been brought up in a while. I wrote that in like 2016, I think. It's so good. Well, can we start by talking about that? And then we'll get into your next book. Yeah. So it's a Kindle single, which Mm -hmm. I had never actually even heard of before because I'm not, I don't have a Kindle. So that's interesting, but it's, it was a very short, almost like a novella about your brother and his disappearance and how close he used to be and your search for him and Jared Leto. And I mean, it was, it was really great. So just tell me a little bit about that. And then I kind of want, maybe you shouldn't say it on the podium. I want to know like how things are with him now and like what happened after the story. So, well, a Kindle single, I don't even know if they do them anymore, to be honest. I'm not sure. But it it was this format where writers could go, like you said, like novella length. So longer than a magazine feature story, but, but not a whole book. And I had been missing my brother at that point. I think he had been gone for about three years, two or three years. And I wanted to go look for him, but, you know, I also... I wanted a structure to do it within also, if that makes sense. You know, like I, I knew I wanted to to write about this in the context of my own story and something that I was doing. And it was the longest thing I'd ever written at the time. And so I knew he was in Mexico, but we didn't know where in Mexico. And so that was the first hurdle. And then it got it narrowed down to Mazatlan because my mom had been in communication with him some. And then we ended up hiring a private detective to help us, and she did. And the whole story, like, it was the first thing I've really ever tried to write without knowing how it would go. And, you know, at first, as you read in the book, it didn't go very well. You know, my brother was not happy we came to find him and didn't want to see us. But I mean, I'm, it's old, so I'm not spoiling the ending. But you know, at, at the end, he, he was glad we had come. That didn't mean that he was going to come back to the States. But, you know, 
there was a reconnection and I was really glad that we had made that trip and had that reconnection. Do you talk to him now or is he still there? Yeah, we talk, but it's sporadic. You know, it's definitely not because we used to be really close. We used to live together as adults. And so it's sporadic and he's around and, you know, I, I would love to hear from him and he would love to hear from me, but it's not immediate relationship or no, it's not, you know, I don't hear from him every day or even every week. But yeah, that that story was my first experience at just trying to do something personal, but also report about it and write about it, which is what I also ended up doing then with But You're Still So Young. Like I ended up interviewing like eight people in their 30s throughout a year, a year plus actually, and didn't know what was going to happen in their lives. You know, I just like took a shot that something would (laughs) when it started happening. It was sort of like, oh, okay. All right. Yes, this is happening. These people's lives are changing. And you incorporated your own life too, which is great. So you almost like, it was like, it was like a memoir with those scissors, like cut out little passages and then everybody else's life as you, as you guys all unfolded together. Yeah, exactly. I mean, my life was a little bit of a cheat because that stuff had mostly happened to me. Not much was written in real time. Some of it is. The ending is for sure. Because I continued to write and report during this pandemic that we're still in. But yeah, with the with the people I follow, it's really dropping into their lives and seeing, okay, what's going to happen to you over this year and when you're in your 30s. And so what are some of your main takeaways from life and life in your thirties? Like have, especially having analyzed this decade so thoroughly. Well, when I started the book, I started at the end of my thirties and I thought, oh gosh, I didn't do in my thirties what I thought I would do. You know, I don't have this adulthood that I envisioned from my parents on adulthood and from like TV shows like, say, Growing Pains was huge when I was growing up. But I wasn't unhappy with this. I thought like, oh, I really learned a lot. And I the milestones that I did accomplish were the ones that seemed right for me when I did them. And I'm glad I had to struggle with achieving them. And I felt like that was true for a ton of other people in their 30s. But you also get this definition of adulthood that has been around since the 1950s and that and that many people just think like well that's what everyone else is doing and even though I I knew it wasn't true you you sort of just butt up against that stereotype the whole time right so it's the five things that sociologists say make you an adult are completing school leaving home becoming financially independent marrying and having a child and like 75% of people used to do that before age 30, like 30 zero. And I, that, I mean, I know that's not happening today for sure, but the stats also bear that out. In the 2016 census, only 24% of people had done that by age 34. So, but you still, you see those stats, but there's still this, like this frame and this idea that no, until you do those five things, you're not an adult. And so I set out to find and talk to people who hadn't done those things, but who were clearly adults and were working to figure out which of those milestones they wanted, which ones they wanted to reject, which ones they were struggling with and might not get. So I just wanted to look at what was really happening instead of just this, you know, framework that we have that is clearly there needs to be a different model, but there hasn't been a new definition set out. You had a a quote in the book. You said, it feels wrong to admit I'm still working on it. I don't know if this is right. I thought it would be different. I can't do this. 
<laughs> and I totally relate to that. It's like everybody has these preconceived notions and it's okay to be like, oh, well, hmm, you know, life is not, nothing all makes sense. I feel like your forties are what I thought my thirties would be. I feel like when I got to my thirties, I would be like, it would be smooth sailing. And it's like, this is great, you know, and, and that is not what thirties were like for most of my friends and me, <laughs> I would say. It's super interesting because I was in my twenties when the idea of like emerging adulthood and the quarter life crisis, like really became popular. And, and it seemed almost like this permission slip, like, okay, you're allowed in your twenties. You could totally find yourself. You can like go live in New Zealand for six months. You can sleep on a living room floor for you know three months. You can have a job for two days and then decide like, eh, I don't want this job anymore. It was this permission to try on all these different selves and, and really dig down to who you were and what you wanted. But for some reason, like we seem to say then when you hit 30, you can't do that anymore. Like there's this like arbitrary age 30 deadline that's in a lot of our heads and, you know, it's, it's, but if you think about it, it's just crazy to think like you can go from being 29 where it's like, okay, definitely you have freedom, try on these things, figure yourself out. And then you hit 30 and it's like, well, wait, I'm just supposed to like snap to everything. But there is this feeling that that's the way that it's supposed to be. This is just one of those things that like, I feel like I want to go back and tell people, I know, right? but they're not actually going to listen to me. <laughs> Do you know, like, yeah, I wouldn't like, I, I, I'll be like, yeah, okay. Uh-huh. Right. Right. But I wanted to tell people. So I, but you, I know you, and you spent a whole book on it and I yeah. hope they listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> a big part of it was, I wanted to be like, you're not alone. Like yeah. you think that everyone else is just checking off these things in a nice orderly fashion and knows exactly what they want and who they are. And it's super happy. And we're all dealing with a lot of uncertainty, especially now, especially this year. Yep. I mean, the amount of people I know in my forties who have made major life changes is really high. Divorce, new careers. You know, I feel like some of my friends are now getting to a stage where their kids are a little bit older and they can try new things. I don't know if you found this with your sort of group of people too, but I don't know. I just feel like the thirties wasn't as, I don't know. There's just a lot of change, even pandemic aside. I just feel like the forties are, I don't know, the most, the time of risk-taking. I feel like people are like, well, if not now, when there's like a little bit closer to the mortality, most people have had someone they've lost. I mean, they have lost someone. I don't know. I do think in, in every decade, you can find this sense of you're not finished. You thought that when you arrived at X age, you would be finished, but we're not ever finished. Like there's this, this sense of like, I think especially in your thirties of when will I have arrived? When will I know how my story ends? Like, when do I have everything settled? And the disheartening yet true answer is never, but it's also, I do think that there's a lot of, a lot of optimism too, in this idea that we're not settled. Because if you look at that fifties model, which most people did follow, they did set their lives out and they were settled by the time they were 30. And so they didn't really have any choices, which that takes away a lot of the anxiety of having all these choices and being like, did I make the wrong one? Because I could always make another choice. You know, I could always switch careers. I could always divorce. I could always decide to have kids. But I think that there is beauty in having these choices because 
you do get to pick what you want for yourself and your life is open in a way that I think is more enriching than if we're all just put in one mold and one way of living and told that that's how we have to do it. Yes. I mean, back then people had like a job. Yeah. Right? For years. Right. For, and that was it. You would like have that job. Yeah. Someone the other day said something about my kids. Like, what do you think they're going to be when they grow up? Or can you, I can't wait till we find out. And I'm like, it's not like that. Yeah. Like yeah. they're going to have 57 jobs. I mean, maybe they'll have one job for their lives. It's possible. But like, I feel like I just switched up. Like everybody can switch. There's never like, oh, she grew up to be a podcaster. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean, like, You're no, not, that's like, not that's it. What a podcast was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, who yeah. knows what these yeah. kids are going to do? And it's, yeah. but I think what we know for sure is that it's, it's going to change. Like, and that I think is the beauty of it. So yes, I'm with you. I mean, I, you know, when there's so many choices, I'm often like, well, let me change this. And like, let me try this and maybe I could do it a little better. And so I'm with you on the anxiety front, but at the same time, I feel like how many of those women were at home being housewives miserable, perhaps in the 1950s and like had no way out, you know, they just needed a podcast mic and they would have been fine. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Anyway, it's super interesting as a topic for all the exploration that you did. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. It's a, tricky thing writing about a decade of life because like you said it's different for everyone everyone's going to experience their own life it's unique to them and so I really struggled a lot with like I know that this is happening to some people in their 30s and I think to a lot of people in their 30s but it's a very hard thing to you know try to make a sweeping statement about a decade of life But I think that's the way, that's why I wanted to choose real people to focus on and to follow. And so I could drill it down to their specific stories, but in their stories, you can also extrapolate things that are happening in society now. Like the birth rate is at its lowest or at its lowest in 35 years. Marriage rates are decreasing. You know, our financial stability, a lot of school debt um, in that now we've been hit by two once in a lifetime recessions, the 2008 recession, and then the current recession because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And then a lot of the most common living situation for people 18 to 34 is with their parents, which is the first time that's ever happened. And it was happening before the pandemic, but the pandemic has only exacerbated that. But it is really interesting, that switch and just the way the way that you can still be an adult and live in your parents' house. Like there's nothing inherently wrong with staying there to save money or staying there because the cost of living is crazy in the city that they happen to live in, but you also want to be in. And so I just think there's this new way of looking at adulthood that's not the traditional way, but that is the traditional way now for a lot of people. Agreed. Yeah. I know my husband's like, well, you know, when, uh, when my littlest guy, like when he goes to college, we can, you know, stay in LA all the time. And and I'm like, we'll probably be living with all the older kids still. (laughs) (laughs) He'll be out of college and they'll probably be back home. But you know, you might, I think it might even get more popular. Like I I was really shocked because at the beginning I was sort of just trying to figure out like, how big is this? You know, how much of a delay is this? And uh, many of the experts that I talked to said, like, they don't even think that the average age of like first marriage of having kids has hit its highest yet, and that it will continue to increase and that this won't be a delay soon. It'll just be looked at as normal course of life. And so I do think there's a little more room in all of these shifts that they're only going to get, they're going to get pushed and more popular. And that's, I just, I don't think we're going back to when, you know, people 
moved out of their parents' house and were married and had a house and had kids at age 22. I also, I've talked to some people younger, like early thirties and they're like, yeah, nobody wants to get married anymore. Everyone just lives together. I'm like, what? Like, yeah, yeah. It's like not a thing. Like we're not, people just are not sure they're going to get married. I'm like, huh. Okay. Interesting. Have you heard that too? Yeah. They do surveys about what makes you an adult and like, what do you think will make you an adult? And being married is always very low on the list. Like always financial independence, a stable career. Those things always, always outrank getting married with this age group now, which is interesting because this is a shift primarily caused by women. Like I, I think that men also are want to delay. And obviously the age of marriage for men is a little bit older. The average age of first marriage, I think it's 29 for men and 27 for women. It might be 28 for women, but the shift is primarily caused by women of waiting later because, you know, a woman didn't used to be able to start her life before she was married, which I mean, even when I say that it's sort of wild that that's in our current history, but it really is. You know, you had to get married and then maybe you could have a job and then you could have kids, you know, and then you would have a house. Like for women, marriage was always the first step to achieving any of these other markers of adulthood. Like some of them couldn't even leave their parents home before they got married. And so that broadening has has broadened a lot of other things too. Well, I'm happy to be alive now and <laughs> <laughs> to, be, to be my age. Tell me a little bit more about writing. Like, do you like to write? Are you like an everyday writer still? Do you like to always be working on something or do you like more journalism, which I feel like your book was much more sort of journalistic or what, what do you like? Where are you now with writing? I do like to write every day. I have an infant. So I used to like writing first thing when I got up, you know, I'd stumble to the coffee maker, make coffee and sit down on my computer and, and write. Cause that was the time of day when my brain was still foggy enough that I wouldn't overthink what I was doing and wouldn't be like, this is terrible. <laughs> Can't even believe you think you're a writer. So my sleepy brain like overrode that like confidence cutting, but now I have, he's 10 months old. And Aww. so that morning writing, I, I just, I tried to get back to it, but I would be like up at 6am and then he would wake up too, or like, I'll be doing it in the dark. <laughs> like, I was just like, this is untenable. Like I just can't do it anymore. So now I have to try it to write when he naps, you know, I, I thought he'd go to daycare, but in the pandemic, he just hasn't. So now it's sort of writing when I can, which it's nice to have restrictions on it. Like I know, like, okay, he'll probably sleep for an hour. Like I need, I can write for an hour. And that's nice because I've, I've heard a lot of moms say this before I became a mom, but you really like drill down to the essential. Like you can't, you know, screw around anymore. Like you don't have to, Oh, I can start this in 20 minutes or whatever. It's like, you have only 20 minutes. Yeah. So that I think has been helpful in me continuing to write is just, just having these very short bursts in which I can write. But I also like, I do a lot of writing in the front seat of the car while my boyfriend drives and the baby sleeps in the back, you know? So I sort of do it whenever I can as needed or what I'm feeling like I have something that I need to get down. So nobody must've met your baby. I mean, he must've been like in the pandemic this whole time. Is that right? Like his whole life has been probably at home. Correct. Which I was really thinking that I was going to be great with this. It takes a village method of raising a kid. And I was very excited about that. You know, all my friends, my family, and it's mostly just been my boyfriend and me. And I really hope that that doesn't last forever. And it won't obviously, but 
but yeah, I, I had to really shift that mindset. <laughs> wow. Well, what advice would you have for aspiring authors? Hmm. I, I mean, I have a ton of advice for aspiring authors, but I would also, it took me a while to find my voice. I, I read about this and text me a little bit, but I always was pretty like, I want to be literary and I want men to like what I read and, and I want to be serious. And I'm writing for this like imagined male like lover of literature, whoever he was, you know, like whoever Richard Ford's readers were, well, that's who I wanted to, but that's not me. And that's not my voice. And, and so when I actually like found my voice, which, which happened a lot with fade out and, and a lot with text me, you know, I was just, I was writing as me and I didn't have in mind of being high-minded or serious or literary. And I, so I think to any writer, don't try to be what you think you should. As hard as it is, like just try and be who you are on the paper and, and people will like that. Like you may not think they will. Like I, I had my doubts. <laughs> like, is anyone going to like these stories that I want to write? But they will. And you're the fact that you're being genuine and authentic comes across so much better than if you're trying to just be what you think other people want to read or what might sell or anything market driven. Totally agree with that. When I was growing up, my mom always used to say, well, just be yourself. And I was like, who even is that? Why is that? That is the worst advice ever. I like, don't even know who I am at all. But turns out that's like the key to everything. (laughs) It really is. Actually, one of the characters in my book, he had a lot of relationships and the one he has settled into, he just decided to be himself. And we were talking and and he said, like, you know, like, I was like, just be myself. And then he was like, no one's going to like that. No one's going to want that. But this woman did. She does. And now he is himself and he is comfortable in this relationship, which it, it, I mean, it really applies across the board as everything. Just try to know your core and what you value and you're going to be great. Yep. So simple. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for this conversation. That was so fun. Thanks for coming on my show and for all of your books. Thank you for having me. Thank you for reading. It was lovely to talk to you. You too. Well, hopefully we'll meet in person sometime. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Good luck with your baby. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music.